On this week's episode, we discuss the topic of palpation. all things health, wellness, and injuries in an attempt to better understand the human body. This is episode 142. I hope you're all doing well on this Friday. We're rolling along through season four. I think we have two episodes left after this. And so I just want to take this opportunity again to thank everybody that supports the podcast. Podcasting for me is somewhat of a hobby, but it is something that takes some work to try and create these episodes and some creativity. So I really do appreciate any comments that come my way, any shares of the podcast, likes, that type of thing on the on the podcast. So I did just want to take this opportunity to thank you before getting into today's topic as we're rolling right along through the season. So this is probably something that I've wanted to discuss for some time. This is a topic that comes up regularly online, Um, when you're teaching the importance or unimportance of palpation. And so if you're a therapist, hopefully this episode is, is lending some value here for you. And if you're a person that's seeing therapists, you might get a better understanding of some things that therapists say that might cause you to maybe ask some further questions um, in your appointments. So palpation, simply put, is locating certain areas or structures on the body. So using the hands in this case to locate a particular structure or a particular anatomical area or landmark. And these are taught, or palpation rather, is taught as a kind of a foundational principle in paramedicine and even in medicine. And it's taught for a variety of reasons. In paramedicine, for example, it's taught as an adjunct to anatomy, so used in anatomy training, and often it's kind of referenced as functional anatomy where you might learn theory in the classroom and then you come into a lab setting and you try to locate these structures on each other as students. We use it as therapists to maybe try to reproduce symptoms of discomfort. In medicine, palpation is used in terms of landmarking for procedures. So the simplest example that I can think of is that if somebody is injecting, say, cortisone into the shoulder or the knee, there are some anatomical landmarks that they will palpate to try and reference themselves in terms of the anatomy before doing the clinical procedure that they are going to be doing. And then lastly, it attempts to educate both therapists and physicians on aspects of clinical decision-making. So I won't say that it is always involved in clinical decision-making, but there may be moments in time where it will affect clinical decision-making. And we'll talk a little bit about what those scenarios might be. I think that the biggest debate regarding this topic is two things, something called intra and inter-rater reliability. And so when you look at the research on palpation, 
the biggest argument is how do we know that what we say we are on is truly what we say we are on? And how do we know that that is consistent across a community of people? So in this circumstance, let's say it's therapists. So intra-rater reliability in research is how many times can I as an individual reliably locate a structure over and over? So for example, if I choose an arbitrary anatomical landmark, let's say the bump on the inside of my elbow, the medial epicondyle, how many times can I, Connor, reliably locate that structure, not only over and over on one person, but over and over on many people? Inter-rater reliability is how many different individuals can locate the same structure or come to the same conclusion, in this case, around palpation or an anatomical landmark. So if we use the same analogy of the bump on the inside of the elbow, if there are 10 therapists, how many therapists can accurately locate that on one body, and then how many therapists can accurately locate it across many bodies? And intra and inter-rater reliability are used in other aspects of research, just to clarify. This is then a measure of how reliable something is or how, if you want to use the word specific, we can be with palpation. And amongst the community of individuals in medicine and paramedicine, often the discussion is around specificity existing or not existing, meaning 20 therapists can accurately locate something on the body through touch or 20 therapists cannot, and they can come to an agreeance across many individuals what is accurate and not accurate. Now, I think that there are some factors that influence things like intra and inter-rater reliability in, in the research. First, as always, is the quality of the studies that are performed, as well as the tools that are used to measure and confirm. So many times in the location of structures on the body research, they might be using, say, an ultrasound to help confirm that individuals are, in fact, on the things that they say they are on. I also think that um, what the structure is may also matter. So, for example, the, the analogy that I gave of the medial epicondyle, the inside bump on the elbow, is quite prominent on most people. It is an area that is often not covered by excess tissue in the body, and for the most part is one of the easier structures that is taught, let's say, versus maybe the reliability or specificity of palpating something incredibly small in the body. For example, maybe one of the bones in the wrist. So I think that the actual structure being measured in some of this research might influence outcomes. And I've read research where intra and intra rate of reliability for palpation is high. And I've read research where intra and inter rate of reliability is low. And some of that research has been, from my standpoint, based on the structure that was being located within that research, as well as you know, there's some research that you read where they've determined based on their research methodology that the structure was relatively easily located 
in circumstances where overlying tissue was less than a certain measurement, for example, indicating that different people have different anatomy. Some people have more muscle mass. Some people have more subcutaneous fat. Some people have both. There's anatomical variance amongst people. Anatomical variance meaning some people have certain bones. Some people have extra bones. Some people's organs are reversed from the majority of the population. So there are really a number of different things to take into account here. However, I have read studies that support both specificity and non-specificity. So I think that, again, what is it that people are looking for in these studies? And then what is the outcome of these findings? How is this going to be used further, which is something that we'll talk about in a moment. So I think when you look at the research on intra and inter-rater reliability as it pertains to palpation, the conclusion there is it probably depends. It depends on a number of factors. It depends on the research that you're reading. It depends on the structure. It depends on the study design. It depends on how different things are measured within the study. And so there seems to be, again, some support for some palpation being reliable and other palpation not being reliable. Now, in terms of saying that we can make conclusions about the entire body, I think this would be impossible because we would need to do studies on every little anatomical either landmark or structure within the human body. So that brings me to a couple of thoughts on palpation in general and why it's taught, some of the positives and some of the negative potential outcomes that I've seen in teaching over the years. I'll go over the positives first, what I see as positives. And again, this is more just my opinion than fact. I think that some of the positives are it can teach individuals confidence in taking their theoretical anatomy and applying it in a different way and coming to certain understandings and helping people reframe and adapt to learning because people learn in different ways. Some people can't look at a picture, for example, and retain that information. However, if you show them on an arm or you show them on a skeleton, for example, or some other diagram that's three-dimensional, they're able to take that information and retain it a little bit more. So I think from an anatomical study standpoint, it can help to build confidence. Piggybacking off the confidence piece, I think it teaches people how to navigate the body, particularly in paramedicine, again, with more confidence and understand how to manipulate the limbs. And what I mean by that is, just picking up the limbs and moving the limbs around and putting the limbs in different positions and seeing how that changes what I perceive I'm feeling as an individual. And I'm not necessarily saying that I'm feeling something rightly or wrongly. It allows me to help people on the table get comfortable in different positions and turn in different positions. And so again, it builds that confidence of how to navigate a person on the table, how to move anatomy through different planes of motion and attempt to locate structures in different positions. And so I think that ultimately that helps build and teach that framework of anatomy through a different lens along with confidence building. 
and I think that having somebody on the table, this is something that I haven't really talked about very much, but I do talk a lot about it in classes that I teach, is just getting someone comfortable on a table, a person that I'm treating on a table, teaching them how to move on the table, allowing them to understand what positions are comfortable and uncomfortable for them, how to pillow people, how to drape people if you don't have, if you're not using sheets or using towels. I think these are skills that are really simple and due to their simplicity are often not really worked on. And it gets you just more comfortable. It's a rudimentary skill that you can be really good at and build confidence in as you're becoming a new therapist. So I think those are some of the positives when I think about palpation. Now, what might be some of the pitfalls or the negatives? I think the biggest pushback is that it may teach a person something that is simply not true. So it may cause individuals to become overly reliant on touch and their hands and create frameworks for navigating their practice that aren't necessarily based on evidence-based practice. So for example, the, the simplest example is they might be taught that certain bones or certain joints or certain tissues are out of place, torsioned, and those concepts then might be directly related to their diagnosis. And we understand that in terms of making those true claims, there's a little bit of a disconnect there with what we might say and what the the research might show. So depending upon how it's framed, it can cause people to become overly reliant. The second is palpation is often not taught in a broader clinical context of decision-making in that what might the findings that you think you find in these circumstances lead you to do with reference to the betterment of the individual that's in your clinical practice. I'll give some simple examples of that in a moment. It may also create scenarios where people feel the need that they need to come and see you on a regular basis to have these certain things that you're palpating corrected or fixed. And again, this has a lot more to do with how the therapist perceives their ability to palpate and the narratives around that than truly the the patient or the person's role in that. So I might communicate with the person, oh, I just palpated your ASIS, for example, which is the front bone on the iliac crest or a landmark on the iliac crest, the front part of the hip, let's say. And I, I might use some language like, well, this is lower, therefore your pelvis is rotated and you need to be constantly seeing me to fix that pelvis. And I don't, you know, ultimately know truly as the individual that's that is the examiner whether or not that is true if I'm making those assumptions in that case they are really just that assumption rather than than fact and so I should be mindful of how I'm using palpation in my practice and then how is that determining my clinical decision making when you look at those scenarios most of the the pushback and negatives regarding palpation is the Number one, the over-reliance on it as a therapist and making claims that are not true based on our understanding of how palpation 
is disseminated in the research. So the question becomes is what do I do or how do I use palpation in practice? You know, I enjoy talking about what I do in practice in clinical practice. I think that um, the feedback that I get from that is that people feel like they like to hear about how I use certain techniques or how I integrate rehab or what I do in, in health history. And so I will kind of outline how palpation plays a role or doesn't play a role in my practice and go through kind of my clinical decision-making. Now, for me, I'll just start by saying palpation is just something else that is being used in the totality of my appointment, health history, clinical decision-making, practice management guidelines through research, treatment that I use, rehabilitation, etc. The first question that I try to answer to myself is, what is my intent here? What am I trying to accomplish with the person? And does palpation play a role in that or does it not in this circumstance? And so I think by asking myself this question, I can then understand as to whether or not I'm going to be using this in either treatment or some type of assessment. I think for me, there are a few different kind of go-to times where I will use it. I may try to use it to find points in the body that are sore or tender. And I think that this is maybe using palpation in a broader context. A lot of the time when we think about palpation, we're thinking about specificity. I'm trying to locate X on the map, let's say. When I'm using it in this circumstance, it's being used more broadly. And more importantly, with a less is more approach. The reason being is that it's very, very easy to find a tender point on somebody's body when you use a lot of pressure. I can make any part of the body tender if I push it hard enough. And so just because I find a point of tenderness, it doesn't necessarily mean that that point of tenderness is related to anything. Now, in the context of, let's say, assessment, I will simply note this area of tenderness broadly and then after treatment or after we do some exercise or after a couple of visits I might come back to this area and check in with the individual and say you know does this seem to be as tender is it tender at all is it more tender and use this as just part of how I'm seeing the person on the table during the context of one visit two visits three visits the other thing that I try to get out of the person on the table is, is this point tender but not seemingly related? So for example, let's say somebody is complaining of hamstring pain, pain on the back of the leg, and I'm pushing through that tissue, and then I come to a spot that is very tender for the individual on the table. My next question is, well, is that point tender or is it familiar to you? Is this some of the symptoms that you are feeling right now? Now, if they say, yes, that is familiar to me, that doesn't really overly guide my 
clinical decision-making of what I'm going to treat. I should clarify that generally speaking, my treatments end up roughly the same. But again, I might use it as a, a very loose, non-specific outcome measure along with other things for that person. So I might do the whole treatment. I might come back to that area, palpate it. How does that feel now? And then in follow-up appointments, I might begin with how's that area feeling? And that is just a measure that the person on the table can see is getting a little bit better for them. In the same scenario, if I palpate the back of the hamstring and they say, oh, that's really tender, and I ask them if it's tender and familiar to them, and they say, no, not really, I haven't felt that that area uh, until you touched it, then I'm not paying a ton of attention to it. I might end up treating that area, I might not, but in terms of its importance to my clinical decision-making at that point in time, I might just briefly note it and then move on. Where are some areas where I use palpation in other aspects of clinical decision-making? So I think maybe areas of the thought around higher risk. So I'll give some very simple examples. So there's something called Ottawa ankle rules. When somebody rolls their ankle aggressively, if there is pain on palpation of certain areas of the body, it would warrant sending back to the family doctor for an x-ray or if they're in the ER or in their doctor's office, chances are they're getting an x-ray as a, as a result of this. So you know, for therapists, common areas are lateral and medial malleolus in a horseshoe pattern the styloid of the fifth metatarsal, for example. So if someone comes in, they've rolled their ankle, it's swollen, it's bruised, I'm going to palpate those areas. And if those areas are sore, that particular guidance via the Ottawa ankle rules would suggest that that person would need an x-ray to rule out potential fracture. Now, does that mean they have a fracture? No, that doesn't mean that I'm saying I think they have a fracture. I'm just saying... I think that it would be a good idea to go and see your family doctor and just have them have a look at it, and I might send a a quick note along with that. So in that case, palpation is guiding my clinical decision-making based on the research that I'm familiar with around this particular topic. And there are other examples of that in the the body, but I'm not going to go through an exhaustive list. Another area may be something like Abdominal tenderness. So someone's coming in and they're they're complaining of maybe some lower abdominal pain that might they might be coming in to see me for it or it might just they might be talking about it. And over the right lower side of the abdomen at an area known as McBurney's point or roughly around that area, kind of a third of the distance on a angle between the front of the hip and the belly button, they've got some tenderness there. Well, clinical decision-making would suggest that, you know, that could be an appendicitis or an issue with the appendix. And so in those cases, again, I'm going to refer to the appropriate individuals based on palpation. And it might just be that, you know, there's no finding there. But again, I'm not going to use absolute language in those circumstances. It's just based on my knowledge of the area. A similar example might be in the neck. 
someone's coming in and they're complaining of maybe shoulder pain and I'm palpating through the neck and I feel or think I feel some enlargement in the lymph tissue there and maybe there are you know, one or two areas that seemingly are more enlarged on the left side or the right side and they are also not painful to the individual. Clinical decision-making would say, let's get those ruled out for anything more significant before moving on. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, number one, I can't treat the person. However, if there's history of, say, cancer in the family or a recent cancer diagnosis or the person's in active care treatment, then I want to make sure for that person's safety that they get those things ruled out. And most of the time, they are ruled out. And that's the good news. But I want to use palpation in those circumstances as as a guide to help make decisions that I think are in the best interest of the person. Another one might be something as simple as practitioners that are doing acupuncture, trying to use landmarks around the shoulder, for example, and positioning the person to avoid lung tissue when doing acupuncture around the neck and shoulder. And so understanding that the apex of the lung or the top of the lung is at that lower slung portion of where the neck and shoulder meet and trying to use anatomical landmarks to be safe in those circumstances along with other practices. So again, I by no means see this as an exhaustive list. These are just more simple examples of where palpation might help guide decision-making. I also use it, generally speaking, and I would say most of the time or the majority of the time, as some part of my physical exam. And it really depends on the particular presentation as to how often I will or will not use it. Some examples where I might use palpation and think along a particular framework during physical exam might be if I suspect that the person has injured a nerve. So let's say they've got numbness in the index finger and ring finger and they're complaining of some forearm pain. When I start to palpate through the forearm, can I recreate some of that familiar numbness? When I get to certain areas of the forearm, does that pain radiate into the index finger and middle finger? If I tap that area, does that cause sort of more lightning-like pain or an increase or alteration in symptoms? Whenever you are using palpation, the three questions that I then ask myself first, and I've alluded to this already, does this change my clinical decision-making? Do I have to make a referral based on what I found? Am I not going to treat? Am I going to have a discussion with the person? Second, does my knowledge of this matter in terms of a broader outcome? And this is mostly related to maybe treatment and rehab. Is this going to change the way that I treat the person, the way that I give them exercise, or any type of outcome in any way? And I think that for me, the answer to those two questions in terms of treatment, rehab, and or outcome 
the majority of the time that answer is no. However, there might be circumstances where that answer is yes, and that's why that tool may be used as part of the, the physical exam. The other topic that is often discussed around palpating is the context of feeling change. So can we feel change in tissue? As a therapist, you know, I'm sure if you've been on the table being treated by a therapist, you might have asked the question, does that feel different to you? I know that that is a question that I get asked many, many times through the course of the day. So the question is, as therapists, can we feel, say, stuck versus unstuck tissue? Can we feel if something is tight? Or can I feel if something is painful where someone hasn't told me whether or not it's painful? Can I feel the quality of tissue? So can I feel if a tissue is, let's say, inflamed or scarred from surgery without knowing that there was maybe an incision there? Can I feel tissue relax or a release of holding patterns. I think that in most of those circumstances, it is less likely that we can truly feel those things. And often these are biases that we have based on how we were taught as therapists, our understanding of our own skills or the narratives that we tell ourselves. And so sometimes... I think that I can feel that the tissue is relaxed. I can sometimes think that, let's say, the right part of the neck is more, quote-unquote, tight than the left part of the neck. But oftentimes, there are moments where I'm on the right side of the neck and I'm palpating and it feels, let's say, increased tone to me and it feels as though it should be painful for the person on the table. And then when I ask them, they say, no, that feels fine. And then the alternative side of the neck, which may feel a little bit, if you want to use the word looser or you know, less sore, is the one that's really, really sore. And I think what most people would then say is the sort of pushback on that or the counter argument to that is, well, oh, it's the right side is tight, causing the left side to be painful. And I just don't really think that we can make those claims. Now, are there circumstances where tissue quality, for example, may be palpated? I imagine that there are. I mean, some that come to mind are post-surgical scars and wounds, pitting edema, Often, a lot of these are also guided by the understanding that you know what has already happened to the individual. You can almost look at the tissue without palpating it and understand that tissue quality, along with the individual that's in front of you, might be struggling to heal, for example. Let's say that the scarring is keloided or raised on the skin. That quality scar might be a little bit different than, let's say, a broad stretch mark looking scar. So again, I don't really know whether palpation in those circumstances allows us to feel any more than we already know. However, there are probably circumstances where quality of tissue may be able to be told by the therapist. I would like to reiterate that I think the majority of these circumstances 
and the, the research that would back this up are probably less likely than more likely. So what about treatment and using our hands in treatment to sense change? Now, I've talked about this on other episodes in how I use response and intent and pressure and palpation in treatment, but I think it's worth another discussion. I call this the personal barrier to treatment. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to see is what I'm doing with my hands and palpation and depth eliciting a positive intent. My intent is to always do the least harm possible, achieve a positive outcome for the individual in that treatment and achieve a positive outcome for the individual over the course of time. So those are my goals. Now, I've also talked about on other episodes that regardless of what my goals are, I may in fact not achieve them and that is okay. I could have the best health history intake possible. I could do what I think is an amazing treatment, be really, really mindful in the treatment, provide great education, great rehabilitation. The person might get worse. Those circumstances happen and that is okay. But I want to try the best that I can to try and and guide myself in a positive way. So what do I use as measures? On the positive side, this meaning that what I'm doing I think might be helping is perceptual tone. Does the person feel less tight in an area? Do I feel or think that I feel sort of relaxation in the tissue? This might be something as simple as the person has a holding pattern or a guarding pattern because they're nervous about the area that's sore and they let that go. And I might perceive that as tissue relaxing. However, it might just be that the person has a an acute hamstring injury and when I started treating it or moving the limb around, they were holding it or guarding it a little bit. And then when they let that go, the tissue let go with it. So does the person tell me that they feel that relaxation or melting? Do I think that I feel it? Is the person's symptoms dropping over the course of one treatment or a couple of treatments? So are they feeling generally better? Are they on the table? They came in with a headache and that headache's disappearing. Is there some sense of relaxation or perceived relaxation and comfort on the table? Are they breathing slow and with a belly breath? Are they holding their breath? Am I asking them if it's too much pressure and they're gritting their teeth and saying no? I want to try and use what I perceive to be relaxation towards my positive outcome. Now, again, that doesn't mean that I'm always right about this, but it is something that seems to help me. Then locally, is the area that I'm treating seem like it's from a a visual standpoint, there might be some reddening or flushing in the skin. That might be a positive personal barrier outcome. Now, the flip side of that is the more unfavorable outcomes. One of those might be that the person contracts or increases the guarding of an area. So they might hold that leg or they might, um, you might push on that hamstring and they sort of jump up onto their elbows on the table They experience a lot of symptoms or a lot of pain along with that jump sign. And as I alluded to, they might hold their breath in that example 
or grit their teeth and try to breathe at the same time. And then locally around the area, there might be sweating of the tissue, goosebumps of the tissue. The tissue might not look as sort of red and flushed. It might be white, gray, blue. So when I'm using my hands in the context of treatment and assessment, I'm paying attention to those measures. Now, again, I'm not paying attention to those measures in a vacuum or in an isolated setting. I'm using those measures and what I think those outcomes are in the context of a broader treatment plan, health history, and rehabilitation strategy. So this leads me to the final question that I see many people discussing. And this is, does palpation make you a better clinician? So if you're if you quote unquote study palpation or do more palpation, does that skill make you a better clinician? When I think about that question, a couple of things come to mind, which I've already alluded to so far is how is that fitting into a broader context of clinical decision-making? And do you have an understanding of what certain clinical findings mean in the context of helping somebody on the table. And really, when I think about this, I think about this in terms of warranting of referrals. So helping make sure that people are safe, making appropriate referrals when certain areas of the body might be tender, understanding anatomical areas that should be maybe avoided in certain circumstances. And I think that when you look at the, the percentage of those cases of the whole, those are less percentages of the time. In the broad context of clinical decision-making, I think, generally speaking, palpation, again, doesn't really affect outcome, treatment, or rehabilitation, or how I manage a person. But in those contexts of small percentage of the time where I need to make a referral, it might become more important. Now, I'm still generally, like I said, using it in those circumstances all of the time to try and help guide that clinical decision-making. Do I think that it makes me a better therapist, or do I think it makes me have a better understanding of management of individuals? I'll say for me personally, not really. The reason I say that is I think the majority of the time I could still make and warrant those referrals based on what the person was telling me or what I see as well as the mechanism of injury. So the example that I would give you back to the Ottawa ankles rule example. Someone comes in, they've rolled their ankle, it's bruised and it's swollen and they're non-weight bearing and they're really hesitant. I think I could still make that referral for x-ray without having palpated that area and understanding or think that I understand that I'm on that area and I could still make the appropriate clinical decision there and no one's really going to fault you for requesting or asking to request that an x-ray be done in those circumstances. I'm sure that I, as I think about that, I'm missing circumstances where palpation may help me a little bit more than just 
the presentation. I think maybe the neck example that I gave earlier might be one of those circumstances. But I think that the skill itself, I think, can be valuable when it's understood in the broader context of clinical decision-making. But the over-reliance on the skill or the, the understanding that it may hold more importance than it in fact does potentially could be problematic as well. So I think that that is a classic Connor sit on the fence episode to try and spark some discussion. I would love to know what you think about palpation and how it fits or doesn't fit into your practice. Feel free to comment below. As always, I hope that this episode has lent some value and maybe caused you to reframe how you see palpation. Have yourselves a great weekend and we will see you in the next one. Thank you.